Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Better Pleasure podcast. I'm Bo. I'm Peter. And we're here to talk about some serious stuff. <laughs> we're here to talk about the Bible and uh, theology and sexuality and uh, issues of uh, pornography and things of that nature. Um, we hope uh, you guys enjoy the podcast today. Actually, the topic, uh, after kind of mulling it around in my brain, I was thinking we'd talk about pastors, kind of leadership and pornography um, or sexual immorality. Um, in general, I was just reading um, on a blog, or not a blog, but just a website um, that a pastor um, fell the other day to um, adultery, um, pastor for a long period of time. Um, but is there a difference between someone who falls into, say, the occasional pornography use and someone who obviously commits adultery? Um, um, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of big questions, too, of uh, in, in pastoral ministry about, uh, um, you know, should pastors be allowed to serve even though they struggle maybe with an issue um, of sexuality, um, uh, especially things like pornography. And, you know, and obviously in our culture, too, a big topic is, you know, pastors and, you know, homosexuality. And should there be ministers that are um, allowed into the, the pulpit that, uh, say, are homosexual or struggle with homosexuality? Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of different things. You know, there's even um, a lot of stats, of course, on the issues of um, pastors and their struggle with, uh, say, pornography particularly. Um, so there's a lot of ways we can go, huh, Peter? That's all right. You know, right. <laughs> you know. sexuality is going to bend one way or the other, you know, but it's definitely not natural to bend towards Christ's way. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, you know, we think of the scriptures, you know, and one of the pa- passages I think I'll just start off with um, uh, is First Peter chapter 5, um, which is a good one for us, us people that are in ministry. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory which does not fade away. Mm. It's beautiful. You know, I think one thing, I think some things, you know, we have to kind of get something under our belt, um, I think, in this topic, because it, it is a tricky one, hmm. um, sensitive, I should say. But uh, is that when you read the Bible, you, I think what we have to understand is that if this really is God's word, then it is going to always convey the best. It's always going to convey the ideal ideal. yeah Yeah. and you know i've always heard there's an ideal and there's a real and i i I believe that that's really true there's an ideal i always find it very interesting that it's peter who says this because peter doesn't do it (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and that's what i think most people fail uh in their understanding of the bible is they tend to read it and they tend to go yeah like, that's how we need to be. That's how we need to be. And that part's right. 
We should be that way. We should be that way. But sometimes we don't even realize the people that are writing this <laughs> and and just going, oh, like Peter. Peter was a part of the greatest heresy in the book of Galatians. <laughs> and And that's hard for us to imagine, you know, that when Paul says, you know, you have fallen from grace, you know, the dude's on his brain on Paul's brain is actually Peter. Yeah. And, you know, because Peter is kind of the subject of uh, of kind of the, the, the epistle. Uh, one who plays the hypocrite. One who hangs out with the Judaizers. Um, one who, you know, the circumcision means something uh, to him. Yeah. Um, and all this separate secretarianism that uh he you know peter was part of yeah and so uh um you know peter's the one here at this point who's writing this uh exhorting the elders to shepherd the flock so i find that has to be kind of something that is kind of just understood yeah what do you think (laughs) yeah i think so too i mean you go through the bible You'd be hard pressed to find anyone in the in the Bible. You, you can't. That's that's the easiest way to put it. You can't find anyone in the Bible who, from either their own uh, their own uh, admission, or from uh, actually just bailing uh, up front, uh, that didn't struggle in any way or, or wasn't honest about it. And just to to lay it out uh, in in a biblical way. When you have the priesthood established in the books of Exodus and Leviticus, the first things that Moses commands Aaron and his sons to do is actually to sacrifice animals for their own sins. And when you sacrificed an animal for your own sins, you guys could look this up on your own time in Leviticus chapter 5 and 6 and 7, dealing with guilt and sin offerings. It wasn't like a, a priest would just like privately kill something and then sacrifice it. The altar in the temple was in the courtyard where everyone can see. Yeah. And you actually were supposed to lean on it and you were supposed to confess your sins over the animal. And the picture there is like, this is why this particular animal is doing. So this is not a secret thing. When the people are standing in the courtyard getting ready to sacrifice animals for their sins, they saw their priests go first. And the reason why God did that is because of the same things that Paul gets at in his epistles, where he confesses his sins, uh, especially in Galatians, is that they realize that the people need an example of what to do when you bail. And if the priests don't go first, how can we expect our congregants to go after? Yeah, that's tough, though. Because people always go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, leadership is about being uh, strong. And it's about being, you know, showing strength. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, they do. And I, I think that there, there's a quote from this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I got a couple that I want to read because it's just like this This section of his book is so great. He was a, he was a pastor during uh, the Nazi regime in Germany. And so he was living in definitely a persecuted church. And uh, he shares a little bit about what he learned living in like an underground church uh, to, to the more Western uh, churches in a book called Life Together. And he's got a whole chapter on confession and it's fantastic. And this is what he says about that. He says, confession in the presence of a brother is profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. 
to stand there before a brother as a sinner is a shame that is almost unbearable. And that quote alone, people would be like, well, you know, like you said, Bo, like, aren't we supposed to be leaders? Aren't we supposed to be strong? Well, this is how he, how he said, how he puts it. He says this, it was none other than Jesus Christ himself who suffered the scandalous public death of a sinner in our stead. He was not ashamed to be crucified for us as an evildoer. It is nothing else by our fellowship with Jesus Christ that leads us to the shameful dying that comes in confession in order that we may truly share in his cross. The cross of Jesus Christ destroys all pride because the cross is shame. Mm. Right? So what Diedrich Bonhoeffer is saying is that how did Jesus lead us? Did he lead us through strength? I mean, he could have come down in strength and power and majesty and just order people to live right. But what does he come down? In meekness, humility, in crucifixion, in the most shameful public way of dying. Yeah, bearing that sin. That's right, bearing the sin, suffering as an evildoer, being naked in front of his followers and being humiliated in front of everybody. Uh, I mean, that the, the cross was the most shameful way to die mm -hmm. uh, by far. And what Diedrich Bonhoeffer is saying is, man, if I really want to share in Christ and I really want to lead like Christ did, it ain't going to come through strength. And that's what Peter's getting at, too. He says, don't be like the pagans who lord it over, but be an example to the flock. What is he saying? Be humble. Be, be willing to admit failure because people don't need um, people in our congregation. They, they do need to look at us. And I, I do want to balance this out sure. by saying that for sure, you know, you got First Timothy 3. Uh, where he talks about qualifications for deacons and elders. Uh, and you also have that in Titus chapter 2, I mean chapter 1, uh, where he gives the same qualifications. Absolutely, leaders are supposed to be examples to the flock. And there is a level, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, there is a level that me and Bo are definitely not saying that, hey, it's totally cool if you're, uh, you know, cheating on your wife and that's, right. that's cool to be on the pulpit and that's, right. that's nice. You know, like we're, we're totally for that and we will balance it out. But what we're saying for now is the stuff you do struggle with, what's wrong with, what's wrong with admitting that you struggle, you know? And, yeah. uh, for sure, we're not saying that we have to go out before the congregation in front of the pulpit and get detailed with them. But we're saying that there should be a level of weakness and humility before the people you minister to so that they themselves know how to have weakness and humility before Christ. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in and and you know, on that note, you know, one of the passages Paul says in Corinthians, you know, that in in my weakness God is manifest. I'd rather boast in my weakness. You know, it, it was you know, obviously he's not talking about um so much uh, a specific sin mm -hmm. in that section as much as just his his maybe bodily weakness um, but the idea that we're conveying is that weakness isn't necessarily something that's bad that you can lead in that and that can be actually a sign of, of strength mm -hmm. is is showing vulnerability mm -hmm. in in us and that why why I say that's such a foundation maybe to begin with is because if we don't have that then then it's easy to I think in ministry to get up on a pulpit or anything like that and share and be in leadership and kind of go hey you know I I do have issues in my life or I don't feel strong or I don't feel this or I feel these temptations and I don't really want to tell anybody because I'm afraid to show any kind of weakness mm. um you know, and, um, you know, it's amazing, but it, it's just so interesting when you read like Charles Spurgeon's sermons, 
man, that guy was like bold when it came to sin, mm. like his sin. Like he would talk about it in like, he like as in, as in like, you know, he knows the accuser is, is accusing him for his sinful actions, you know, and, um, you know, and he wouldn't specify what they were, mm. but he would always let in his, in his sermons, he, he's being very clear that they're sinful, conscious decisions that he's making mm. and that he needs, uh, the intervention of the advocate, mm. you know, Jesus. And, um, and that's what I think makes Charles Spurgeon so amazing is that he is just so downright bold mm. when it comes to the, the greatness of his sin, but the greaterness of the Savior to cover it. Yeah, and that's that's such a good point, Bo, in that confession breeds the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, in fact, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 14, uh, one of my favorite sections, he says, like, uh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came for sinners of whom I am chief. And, and that word in Greek is pretty emphatic. He doesn't say was or, you know, back in the day when I was persecuting Christians, that's when I was the chief. He says, I am present day the chief, the, the chiefest among all the sinners, the leader of all the sinners. And he says, but for this reason, Christ came into my life that I might be a pattern of his grace unto all those who believe on his name for salvation. Mm. And so what Paul is saying is that where is the glory of my life? Where is the glory of God seen in my life? Is it through me being strong and people looking at me and being like, Paul's the best dude. That dude's so smart and he's so awesome. And look at his, you know, uh, desire to follow Christ. Or is it seen through Paul saying, you know what guys, like I blow it. And you know, I don't, maybe I don't like being persecuted all the time. And maybe I don't like, uh, you know, not being covetous, which is what he confesses to in Romans seven. You know, maybe I want to do those things. However, God gives me grace. And as people see that grace being poured out on my life, that makes them confident to ask for the same kind of grace. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard. Sometimes I think you read the new Testament and you almost read it with this idea of like, Oh, like Paul doesn't sin (laughs) or, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can kind of read it like that and, and, and you just don't read, um, or you don't realize that, that, no, Paul was a sinner. Hmm. And, um, and so, you know, and, and, and I don't mean that, uh, you know, obviously that, that, uh, you know, some people might go, whoa, what do you mean? You mean Paul was like, you know, going to bathhouses and da 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 Well, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know for certain, but I don't think so. Um, um, I don't think that's what, you know, his life was like, um, um, certainly. But, um, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I get to heaven and meet Paul and get to know him more and that he mentions things that I never thought he struggled with, you know, <laughs> that I'd be blown away with. I'd be like, yeah. whoa, that's, that's a trip, you yeah. know, because you, you tend to just read it and you go, oh, man, these guys must be just, like, amazing. Yeah, and, I mean, even your example, Bo, in the beginning of Peter, I mean, what was the sin that Peter struggled with? Racism. Racism and legalism. Uh, sins that were so severe Paul says that if you do these things, he says you become estranged from Christ and you've fallen from grace. So, I mean, Peter's not struggling with little things like, no. you know, he stubbed his toe and he thought about saying the F-bomb. You know, that's <laughs> that's not what's going on in Peter's life. It's like yeah. stuff so hardcore that Paul's like, if you don't repent, 
you've defamed the gospel. Like he has to go and stand in front of his face and say, Peter, dude, we need grace, man. Like it's, yeah. you're not better than anyone. And he, and he totally just like brings him down. And, uh, the important thing about that section is to understand that the leaders in the church struggled with not just minor sins, but with severe ones. Yeah. And, and so, you know, those severe ones of, of, you know, we, ne- we never think of like, you always think of, you know, legalism, as probably not as bad as like the bathhouse, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You know, the whorehouse, yeah. you know? Um, and yet in the new Testament specifically, man, those, those ones that you mentioned, uh, the, the sins of legalism are some serious deals. Yeah. And uh, once again, I got, <laughs> I got a quote from Bonhoeffer where yeah. he, he goes over that of why it is that way. He says, Jesus dealt with people whose sins were obvious, tax collectors, harlots, they knew why they needed forgiveness and they received it as forgiveness for their specific sins. So the reason why Bonhoeffer and, and what even what you're saying right now, Bo, the reason why it's those public sins that we tend to think of as the worst that actually aren't is because they're so obviously sins. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are, you know, Paul going to the bathhouses and stuff like that, he wouldn't be like, no, I'm good. You know, I'm totally good in Christ. Like he, he wouldn't think that way. He'd be like, no, I need grace. I need a savior. But if you're struggling with those internal things of feeling puffed up, feeling better than other people, of, uh, you know, uh, thinking like you're above sinning, of judging other people, those sins are so severe that those were the exact sins that Jesus quoted as the reasons why the Pharisees couldn't be saved. So um, for sure, if we saw things the way that God did, I think it would blow us away because it, it, it is true that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Mm. Yeah, and and so we we kind of know that you know certainly people in the Bible that were in leadership certainly struggled with some pretty serious sins, mm. you know, um, absolutely. Um, yet they were in leadership, mm. and uh, they even bounced back. How about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, even I mean even to such an extent where in, when Peter writes his second epistle he talks about how awesome Paul is. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty radical that, you know, some dude that just a couple of years ago went in front of his face and like tore him up in front of everybody. Yeah. He's like, dude, Paul is awesome. Right. And scripture, awesome. man. Yeah. He, he's got, he writes scripture and, you know, you think of Jesus's example of taking Peter and restoring Peter when he denies him three times. Yeah. I would say denying Jesus three times is probably pretty radical. Yeah you know, to actually deny him before men. You know, the Bible says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the angels. Mm. You know, and you have to remember, Peter denied Jesus before men, Mm. you know. And why it wasn't a denial uh, that was fatal was because he had an intercessor. Mm. That's why. Yeah. There's no other reason why, because he did exactly what Jesus said not to do that if you do this i will deny you yeah but if you have an intercessor who's interceding for you then he he will not he will prevent you from failing from falling i should say yeah beyond measure yeah and uh but that's the only thing why the he's not going to be denied uh or any of us will not be um denied entrance into the kingdom Mm. it's because we have an advocate yeah. You know, I, I think that's another important point, too, is just to realize Jesus' example of restoring Peter. Hmm. Um, 
you know, it's it's also, I think, the reason why I think this is important just to start off with in the podcast is that that we, we understand that ministers need to have a place to share their struggles. Mm. And that's, I know, on our hearts a lot. Um, because we, too, have been ministers who struggle. And I use that in present tense, meaning people go, what do you mean struggle? And we'll talk about that maybe another podcast, you know, what exactly that means. Yeah. Um, and how it relates to the ministry. But um, but we need a place to be able to talk about these things. Mm. And, you know, when I think about the minister who, who committed adultery, mm. um, I think... Man, if you know, and, and he and he's not the first that's been in our circles who have done that, you know, and 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 uh, and I think God, if they just had a place, Peter, if they, you know, God, how long has that been going on? Yeah. And and there's no equation to it, meaning meaning I, I don't want people to think out there like, oh, he must have been in pornography. Nee, he was probably really into porn, and yeah. that's why. And then he got into adultery. That doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. Some people are not even into pornography. And they commit adultery. Mm. And some people are into pornography and they commit adultery. And some people are into pornography and never commit adultery. Yeah. So it's like as far as like physical, the act. Yeah. But know. there was definitely something going on in his heart. That's right. Something yeah. was going on in his heart. And it's like. And he wasn't able to say it. And he wasn't able to say it. And if for whatever reason, you know, he he felt like, you know, the staff, the the his his assistants, whoever, associate pastor, Whatever he never felt safe or no one he could talk to and say, "Hey, you know, I struggle with, with having fantasies of maybe being with someone else, mm. and there's someone else that I tend to, I tend to be close to. I have to, I think I'm developing an emotional attachment with, and I need to, you know, just cut it off right now, mm. you know, or, or I need some help with that, or you know what I mean? Just any yeah. kind of, any kind of openness, you know, there was just like a, a great fear mm. in that, you know." And that, that word right there, Bo, is, is exactly why our sins grow so much. The only way for uh, victory to happen over sins, I mean, the Bible says it all the time, it's faith. Mm-hmm. It's trusting in God. And the enemy of faith is fear. So if I'm sitting in my pastorate and I'm, I'm fearing, you know, the word of men, you know, I'm fearing what people are going to do to me and I'm fearing what people might think about me. Um, that fear is going to cloud up inside of my heart and it's going to start shutting out the voice of God. And so now I know that there's something I got to deal with. I know that there's something that that's going on in my life, but I'm so wrapped up in me and I'm so wrapped up into my ministry and worried about what's going to happen to me if it comes out that I let things go way too far um, and ends up stealing the ministry anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you think of that passage in the book of James, right? Desire leads to sin, sin leads to death. You know, there's that... You know, and that's that's the that's the issues of the heart. You know, desire leads to sin, and and thing is, is we have to have even as ministers, we got to have people in our life that we could talk to, and people that we're able to talk openly with, because it's difficult in ministry, because especially with sexuality, because people don't want to open up when it comes to their sexuality at all. Yeah. Meaning, meaning no one wants to even talk about the right kind of sexuality and what it looks like. And that's a difficult question in and of itself Yeah, is if I sat with leaders and just said, Hey, what is good sex? What is the right kind of sex? What is, what is, how much should you have? 
of sex. You know what I mean? There's going to be a lot of variety and difference of opinion. Does that make sense? Mm. Over those things, a lot of people don't want to share that kind of detail, you know? So it becomes very difficult to talk about, quote, bad sex or or bad things that you're thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's such a, a, you know, kind of a, a serious quietness when it comes to this topic um that uh you know we just don't want to go there we don't feel safe you know so you hold on to it and you hold on to it until um and things fester you yeah. know and you and it doesn't help when you hear from the pulpit you know things about when sexual sin comes up it's always like like oh man you know they messed up or they blew it or you know or like like you know what i mean it's like or when you hear such an anti-porn message all the time, you know, anti-porn, anti-porn, pornography, pornography, horrible, horrible, horrible. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, and you don't really discuss it hmm. and you don't talk about it. You don't really have any kind of form on it, um, on sex. Then all you're sitting there going is like, oh my God, like, you know, I, who could I talk to about this? Hmm. You know? Um, and of course, if you never hear any leader ever mention any kind of sexual lust in their heart, any kind of confession, then of course you, you are taught by the absence of the confessions that they must be never dealing with it. And, and then over 20 years, 40 years of not of having this education through silence um it it has a huge ramification yeah you know a giant one yeah and so just because pastors don't mention something doesn't mean they're not mentioning something yeah you know meaning we're educating even when we're silent yeah you know and so when we are silent on a subject and then we are harsh on a subject or negative on a subject all the time, mm. then that, that obviously is teaching and educating. Yeah. And we find it, we see it all the time because we're, we, you know, we're around young people a lot. Yeah. And the young people constantly are trying to figure out this sex thing within this church culture. It's like, mm. it, it's like if I was going to rate how the church educates on sexuality and sex and pornography and issues like that it'd be negative two you know what i mean one through (laughs) ten you know yeah no no i totally agree with you bo because it's like and and uh something to also mention that i think is really important to say at at this point uh, me and bo understand that you know both of us struggle with when we say we struggle with sexual sin we are talking about pornography and lust now that that looks different in both of our lives, but th- that's yeah. that's what we're talking about. And we understand that there are pastors out there and people out there that their battles with lust don't turn those ways. Right. And the, the reason why I bring that out is because if I'm a pastor, if I'm a head pastor in a church and I don't struggle with porn, but maybe I struggle with lusting after other women or maybe I struggle with being selfish towards my own wife. Uh, or maybe, and there's there's plenty of different ways that that lust can creep up inside of my heart and, and the way that it could look uh, in my marriage. But if I'm not dealing with that, if one of the people under me comes and they say, hey, I struggle with porn, 
I, since I haven't dealt with the own struggle in my own heart, I'm going to lump that person in a category. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, oh, you're a porn viewer. And then in my mind, all those articles are going to come up in my brain of like porn leads to pedophilia, porn leads to <laughs> rape, porn leads to this, porn leads to that. And then, uh, I mean, how could I be on? I mean, honestly, if I don't understand the nuances of that statement, then I'm and I'm lumping him in these hardcore categories. Maybe when he says, hey, I struggle with porn, what he's really saying is, hey, man, like every now and then I stumble into viewing women that look like my wife and self-gratifying yeah which is a, it's a problem but it's not as serious a problem as someone coming and say hey i struggle with going on snapchat and like video sending yeah, pictures of myself to like women in the congregation or i struggle with yeah. uh you know going on ashley madison and hooking up like there is a world of difference mm -hmm. between those things but if me if i've never dealt with the stuff in my heart i'm not going to understand that and I'm not going to be able to deal with it in an intelligent way. And that's also for parents, man. What happens when your kid comes up and says, hey, I struggle with porn, right? There's a world of difference, like I said, between a curious 14-year-old wanting to look at pictures of uh, the, the female naked body and getting aroused by that and liking that and enjoying that to, once again, a 14-year-old who likes to, uh, you know, send nude pics to a lot of girls in his class or, you know, there's a world of difference and there's different ways to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And you got to understand that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's uh, good points that you bring up, you know, you know, I, I wrote when I, when I did write my book years ago, I remember putting up this little part in it, like, like it shouldn't be that just the people who can minister to someone who struggles with lust sexual lust is just a person who struggles with sexual lust it should you know any everybody every christian should be sensitive to sin mm. and when me and peter are saying we struggle with lust what we're saying is we are sensitive to that area of our life meaning we are very sensitive because we are prone to wander and what we mean by that is, and, it, and believe me, it works so different. Like, I have no desire. I don't look at women at the U of A. I don't look at, it, that has, it has nothing. I don't look at any women and want to be with them or nothing like that. But I know my heart is prone to fantasize mm -hmm. about my wife. And it leads me into just not the greatest realm. Yeah. And most guys that I deal with that view pornography don't actually want to be with the women and that's such an important distinction that is most but people don't some believe that people do that's know? right some people do and, and there's and, and there's there's some people view porn just to relieve stress some people view porn because they're lonely but if if those people ever if they ever had an opportunity to have sex with those people they wouldn't yeah they'd be deadly as scared like i don't <laughs> want to have any kind of you know physical sex with someone yeah. you know but they just it, it becomes something in a sense of a way of coping yeah uh and and uh, you know an anesthetic and what do they call a uh, um, anesthesia kind yeah. of stuff yeah like self-medicating self-medication you know certainly so but yeah. you know but anybody you know any you know and that's what we're saying is that we're sensitive to the battle mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that, see, that brings a relevancy to me, biblically speaking. Because even if I go through First Peter and I go through the, you know, we're waging war against the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's a war. Peter says it's a war. It's, it's a battle. It, you know, that, that reminds us of what? Galatians chapter 5. You know, that the lust of the flesh goes against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that we do not do the things that we wish. Mm-hmm. And that we need to overcome it by growing in our walking in the spirit. You know, walking according to the word, walking in Christ, um, through faith in Christ, you know, by gaining that victory through faith. Um, and, and that the, there's this progress, but there's this battle that's being w- waged. And the thing is, if, you, if you're not waging a battle, if you don't know, if you're not sensitive to sin in your life in the battle, then, yeah, you're going to feel really awkward when someone comes up to you and they go, man, dude. I'm I'm in a I'm in a brawl, hmm. you know. You're gonna be like, what? <laughs> like, I'm not. I'm oblivious to my sin. <laughs> I mean, I'm. You know, and that and, and thing is, you have to. You know, Christianity. I, I can't imagine any Christian taking the Bible seriously hmm. is not gonna find utter, utter failure, and and the battle so strong. Yeah. Meaning, meaning, someone's gonna spend five hundred dollars on on something that they know they don't need they know it's they know they've been doing it every month spending five hundred dollars on this thing that's that's just frivolous when that money could be going to probably something far greater far better you know what i mean and maybe through negligence you know they they want something that really they it's just such a not needed thing but they do it anyway because it's their own personal gain through it. Maybe it's something they enjoy doing, you know, da 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 But it, it, and, and in their heart, they know that they should, you know, that, man, I just shouldn't be spending this kind of yeah. money on this. Yeah. And I mean, look at the... You know? Look at the confession that Paul makes in Romans 7. A lot of people look at it as kind of like a pastor cop-out that he yeah. confessed to covetousness. But then read the next verses of mm-hmm. what it looks like when he's battling that thing. He doesn't say, yeah, I struggle sometimes with being selfish. Yeah. First of all, he uses the root word that we get a word lust from, hmm. covetousness, saying I struggle with lust. That could be translated that way. I struggle with lust. And then secondly, when you look at his battle, it's not like, yeah, sometimes a battle. It's like, dude, I feel dead to this thing. Yeah. Like I get up and then it fills my heart with all sorts of lust and I want to do these things. And we don't know what that lust looked like right, in Paul's what, life. what that covetousness looked like. Yeah, he could have been coveting money. He could have been coveting fame. He could have been coveting sex. He could have been coveting alcohol. We have no idea. But he had some form of lust in his heart. And he's when he's describing it, it looks like it is a flat-out brawl in his life yeah. where sometimes he's winning and sometimes he's losing. Yeah, and that's and that's what sometimes we fail to convey, I think, in ministry is that the real battle, hmm. you know, that there's a real battle we're in and that, and that sometimes we win a battle and sometimes we don't do so good in a battle, yeah. you know, but we're battling yeah. and we're into it and we're doing it. And so we have people in our life that we're talking to, you know, that confessional life, that accountability life, those type of things are, are and, and people see it in our life. People know that we're in this kind of stuff. Hmm. People, it, it's not just a here thing. But they see it in our life, mm-hmm. you know. And so sometimes sometimes people go just automatically assume that the pastor's life is one that's ridden of sin. Mm-hmm. It's done. O- it's no longer. And, and that's not it. I would say a good pastor is one who is seriously in the battle. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And he and he and knows how to implement things. Yeah. You know, he knows how to have things in his life. You know, the accountability, the confession. You know, he's in the word, he's in fellowship. You know, I mean, he's got these things going on in his life. Yeah. And that's that's one of the uh, I know that we talk about it a lot, but but that's one of the the greatest I believe failures inside of the church is that we as leadership and I include myself in this haven't been good enough examples and because of that people think of confession as an oddity right they think of confession as like that's for addicts that's for that's what kind of people do no when you're everybody the, should be doing when it you're it's, it's like the tip of the iceberg it's like i can't deal with it no more yeah. okay i'm gonna confess <laughs> then i'm gonna confess yeah, and, and then i'm gonna go to aa and that's get right. help and that's instead of just going hey you know what daily confessing that's that's the beautiful thing about the word man you think of just going back to the simplicity of jesus man yeah. you know our father who are in heaven hallowed be thy name right forgive us our sins hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's so cool that you think of his pr- the way he taught us to pray. And that means he knows we're going to sin, <laughs> you know? So he taught us to pray, to com- ask God to forgive us our sins. That's right. That's you know? Right. And, and so why would it be odd <laughs> for at all for us to go to someone, you know, that we're in, in, in the fight with and say, hey, man, it's been a tough week, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, this thing's, this thing's bugging me. Yeah. You know, this area, my phone's bugging me yeah. and, um, you know, I could use your help, mm. you know, with that, you know, and, and why would that be, a, why would that be weird? Yeah. Shouldn't you know? be, you know, biblically it isn't. Yeah. I would much rather have a, I would much rather have a pastor that is with me confess than not confess. If a pastor doesn't confess anything to me. I I get more, much more like, uh, something's not right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because something like the Bible declares that all of us struggle. Right. So if someone's not saying it, someone's not saying what they're struggling with, either one of two things is happening. Either A, that thing is dominating to the point where you can't even see it. Right. Or B, he's being dominated by fear and can't admit it. Right. Both are bad. Both are bad. Both are terrible. And so as, as someone in ministry, uh, for 23 years now, my it's important for me to show to lead in vulnerability to my staff, meaning to say, hey, you know, guys, um, it's a tough week. You know, be praying for me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some things I got to take care of. There's things I need to be more diligent on. Um, that type of thing. Yeah. You know, and 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 then you know maybe get more specific with you know my accountability crew. Right. You know right. what I mean. That kind of thing, but nothing's wrong with me showing that vulnerability, so the staff knows, like, hey, it's it's okay. See, I got to teach them what it means to be vulnerable, and what it looks like to have an accountability group too that they know um, I'm with. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's important to show those things because that's what Christians are supposed to be doing. Yeah, encouraging uh, one another daily, as it is called today, lest you be hardened against the deceitfulness of sin. That's Hebrews three. Yeah. You know, so that, that it is, it is the baseline Christianity, what we all should be doing. And I know that we've gone over this in other podcasts, but I just want to say this really quickly. Um, there's a difference between confession and what we call accountability. Confession that we see in the Bible that Paul does in Romans seven or first Timothy one is a vague thing. And that it's just an admission of vulnerability before people, to help them understand the Christian walk. 
accountability is Galatians 6. That's when you get into the nitty-gritty with people that are, what, spiritual, that could help me bear my burdens, that can actually assist me in my walk and in my fight. That's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about accountability. And uh, I, I just have one more quote from Bonhoeffer. Uh, so he says this. He says, does all this mean that confession to a brother is a divine law? He says, no, confession is not a law. It is an offer of divine help for the sinner. Mm. It is possible that a person may, 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 by God's grace, break through to a certainty, to new life, the cross, and fellowship with other believers without the benefit of confession, confession to a brother. It is possible that a person may never know what it is to doubt his own forgiveness and despair of his own confession of sin, that he may be given everything in his own private confession to God. We have spoken here for those who cannot make this assertion, <laughs> and that is definitely me. And he says after that, he says, who can refuse without suffering great loss, a help that God has deemed it necessary to offer his children, mm-hmm. right? And that, that's how he ends that, uh, that chapter. But I mean, what a great statement that it's like, no, we're not saying that you have to do it. But like Bonhoeffer said, how could you ignore a benefit, a tool, a blessing that your father has graciously offered you without suffering loss? Yeah, you know, great loss in your ministry, in, in in the way that you talk with people, and the way that you even handle sin in your own life. Yeah, so so true. So you know, when we talk about ministry and issues of sexuality, um, you know, it, you know, it's 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 so much about our own views of sin as ministers. Um, are we battling? Um, are we able to convey that battle properly? Um, are we able to open up our lives in those ways to show, to be an example to the flock in, in, in how to battle areas of life? Because there's always going to be areas of battling, mm. um, those type of things. Um, and maybe the next podcast we could talk about uh, a little more some of the other subjects yeah, that, yeah. that come up. But uh, I think our hearts, certainly in this one, are for... You know, trying to give people a, a kind of a foundation uh, for how we look at it anyway. Mm. And how we see the Bible is so real and relevant to this topic. Um, and we hope you guys find it too. So check us out on Twitter. You certainly can check out our um, Twitter accounts or SoundCloud, um, Google. Everything's at Running Light. So check it out. Check out our website too at betterpleasure.org or runninglight.org. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. <laughs>